Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Rod, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So I think the best way to get started here would be to have you introduce yourself. And then I know you wear a whole bunch of hats and maybe tell people about all the hats, but then we're going to circle around Nordic Meats. Okay. So my name is Rod Ofte. I'm, uh, I guess, first a uh, farmer of the Driftless region, um, fourth generation of our family's been here since 1847. Grew up on a dairy farm and I knew right away that's not what I wanted to do because it's a ton of work. And uh, I hated farming at that time and wanted to get away. So I went to uh, went to the military academy at West Point as an undergrad, not because we have any military history in the family, but because I had no money and it's paid for. And uh, that led me to a short stint in Europe and the Middle East and the military. And then I ended up, I am a German linguist and I ended up working for M&MRs, the food company in, uh, in Europe, actually hired as a local national and spent uh, about 14 years with Mars. Uh, Awesome company, traveled all over the world, did a number of different things that most people don't ever get a chance to do. And uh, well, I married my sweetheart from Wisconsin who was from La Crosse. And when we we started having kids, we decided it was time to go home and get back closer to family because we've been only coming home once a year and it gets to be tough when you can just see the age and uh, you miss family, et cetera. So I came back and bought a farm near my home farm, started raising beef and got into uh, grass-fed beef because I'm too lazy to milk anymore. But I I really like the, uh, you know, raising your own beef, sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. And that grew into our brand, which then grew into grass-fed which then grew into studying the whole dynamics around grass-fed production. And that led to my, because <clears throat> I couldn't fully retire, or didn't want to be totally idle. I started a food and beverage consulting business, which led to me becoming the general manager of the Wisconsin Grass-Fed Beef Cooperative as a consultant. So I, I still have that role 12 years later after I said I didn't want a job and just would help out. And here we are uh, still working well and the co-ops doing is successful and our, our brand or our ranch is one of the larger producers for the co-op, so it works really well. One of my frustrations in the last three to five years has been um, the diminishing availability of processing options for small brands and, and small cooperatives. So uh, one thing I took about pretty seriously approximately five years ago is to trying to get involved with a local processor so we would not have such constraints and, and not have limited uh, processing availability, uh, processing options, and the distance to, to processing was just such a heartbreak for both for the producer, uh, time-wise, cost-wise, and also shipping animals within Wisconsin two to three hours one way just is just a not the right solution. So we were looking at a few different options, and we came across the former uh, Premier Meats, which was the former Driftless Meats, uh, which we par- purchased with some partners in December of 2019. And uh, welcome to the meat processing world, which is extremely challenging, but also rewarding in the fact that you can have local jobs and support local farmers who really go out of your way to thank you for the effort so that they don't have to either just kill animals and throw them in a ditch or actually have to pay to have that animal um, taken away. And while the animal probably would have would have had a market value of thousand two thousand dollars. So that's how we got the Nordic meats in a nutshell in a few minutes. Um, that's anything, amazing. Tara, you, you know that you know a lot of the other hats, uh, anything I missed there that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think um, because it kind of is a support to, to Nordic Meats, let's, let's talk a little bit about the co-op, right? Because it, so one of the things when you start when, because lots of people are interested in processing meat processing businesses right now after COVID and one of the big challenges is getting enough throughput to justify a facility. And the fact I'm, I'm assuming anyway, that the fact that you have this experience in this network of farms in the Wisconsin grass fed beef co-op help make that um, a more viable thing, right? Because you already are working with all these farms. 
in some way, at the same time, I'm, I also wanted to be very careful and was very open with everybody at the outset that this, this is not, I'm not buying this to shove all the Wisconsin Meadows volume through it to line my own pockets. Yeah, uh, yeah. I bought it from my own farm and also to give Wisconsin Meadows options. The, the other investors, uh, it's nice to say that we've talked about strategically, as you know, Tara, for, for almost 10 years, but should we buy a processing facility? Should we get involved in a processing facility? And we've just been short capital and you need immense capital to have a facility. The neat thing was though, because we've been talking about it for so long and a lot of us you know, work together in other ways in terms of membership of the co-op, the majority of the other shareholders and myself are Wisconsin Meadows co-op members. Nice. So it's a co-op without being a co-op, which I love because you have the co-op, what I call influence, mm-hmm. without having to have tried to get that much ownership directly, which would have been impossible. So that said, the majority of our volume still goes through Cannon Falls, uh, Lawrence Meats, which they're okay. an awesome partner. They do great things. We yeah. still use Rio. Uh, Johnson Meats and Rio because they're a good partner and they're centrally located and they do great things. And then we use Nordic for probably only three to five percent of our volume for the co-op right now, but they do things that the other two don't do. And okay. which, so everyone's kind of got their own niche and uh, and adding value as best they can. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So in that, I love, this is a great thing to talk about because I, I the, the ownership structure. So when you were you, you identified this facility that had been vacant for a while, right? Correct. When you yeah. guys took it over. And and then, you know, you're going to bring in a group of investors that do this. And, um, and I tell people that you can actually achieve a lot of what you do with a co-op it, within an LLC. Yep. yep. Yeah. And it sounds, excuse me, it sounds like that's something that you took advantage of. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't intended. Uh, the... It's like anything else in life. A lot of people think it's a grand plot, and it really isn't. Life's kind of a series of mistakes that turn out well or not. So I've been <laughs> yeah. pursuing this place for forever. And a, a good friend of mine, Alan Williams, who is a you know very famous beef specialist and grass-fed beef uh, uh, guru, he said, Rod, the only pe- way to make money on a processing plan is to buy it the third time around. And, and he told me that probably seven years ago. That's so And he's funny. probably right. So we were able to get it for pennies on the dollar and it's a, it's a fairly new facility. It's probably only 12, 13 years old because of the changes of ownership. COVID hit. The old owners just wanted rid of it. And so we were able to purchase it reasonably. And then the investors, coincidentally, are people. They're other producers who I respect, who I know they're sharp. And I guess a lesson to all of us should be, you know, that smart old farmer that you think he drives a rusty truck and you think he's you know probably struggling to put meals on the table he's probably worth a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple that I asked because I've always talked to them for advice and they said, well, Hey, do you, do you need any money? Yeah. Well, yeah, but we're looking at a hundred thousand dollar increments. Oh, sign me up. Yeah. So, and, and so in the end you've got these really powerful, smart, but silent partners that are just great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basis for the business. Yeah. It's so interesting. You say that. Cause I, um, I did a podcast interview with somebody who heads up the ag lending group at Afrata Bank, um, and that's it's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's a whole, it's a really interesting bank. Um, it's one of the first chartered banks in the United States. It still exists. Over half of the stock is in a trust that says it can never be sold. So the bank will, <laughs> has always been there, will always be there. Um, but he said you, there's a lot of Amish and Mennonite, of course, in, in that part of the world. And he said it is not uncommon for them to be working with an Amish or Mennonite farmer and they are 40 years old and they have a net worth of $2 million and you would yeah. never know. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. So, okay. So you wrangled a group of investors to come along with you. You've, you were kind of keeping an eye on this facility for a while. Um, you COVID came along and, and, and by the way, that the facility hadn't been operating, right? So COVID came along. It was not like the prior owners benefited from COVID, right? Right. And nobody really benefited from COVID. We, we were going to close in uh, April 1st of 2020. 
so COVID and we had a due uh, diligence uh, time. We had an agreement from December, 2019. So we were doing due diligence. We had an offer to purchase, accepted offer to purchase, but we had ability to back out if we wanted to. Right. And, you know, and we all know what happened in the short to midterm was that no one could find any processing. So right. we were at least, we were at least reaffirmed that we're not going to go out of business the first year because we won't have anybody at, at the doors. Right. And then we probably one of the smarter and what it was in smart in hindsight, I didn't think of it at the time, but if you're going to start a new business, think of all the things you'd want long-term rather than say, okay, let's do like everybody else does and change it later. Change is always difficult. So right. one thing when we're building our website, I said, let's, let's do this smart. Let's be advanced. Let's allow cutting instructions to be online with pictures. Let's simplify and streamline all these processes. And also let's require that a deposit, if you reserve a place, no different than a hotel room, no different than a campsite, mm -hmm. you pay a deposit. And what happened was we had nearly $30,000 of income um, before we opened the doors because we launched our website a month before we opened for Kill. And because of that time when everyone couldn't get in, mm. we literally had, uh, you know, hundreds of kill appointments at, at the tune of to a hundred dollars a piece um, that were made within the first 30 to 45 days, which for a business that's starting, you know, you've got some minor salaries and you know, obviously we had enough money to make the improvements, but to get that influx in, in revenue before you've even killed an animal is, is a nice, nice business. Oh yeah. Uh, no, result. that, that worked out well for you. So yeah. when, when did you open? We opened uh, the 1st of July, okay. and if you're in the area, we're having our first anniversary on the 1st of July, which is a Thursday this year, free food and free hats. All farmers love a free hat. Of course. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so the 1st of July, we did our first, uh, it was a, a USDA kill, but it was uh, custom exempt, which means it was, we did one of my animals and a couple of the other investors. So just to give things a trial. So if anything went sure. south, uh, you could, custom exempt means that the, the producer, um, can eat it and can take it, but it's it's not uh, certified for resale under the USDA. So that allowed us, that went really well, allowed us to kind of make sure that we had everything where we needed it. And then we began uh, USDA's certified inspections a couple weeks later. Right. So USDA inspected and what species do you do? We do, we try to do everything. We do hogs, uh, we do beef, of course. Uh, we'll do call cows if you have them. We'll, we do veal, uh, lambs, sheep, uh, goats. Uh, I think I said hogs. Uh, yeah, we have a, We don't do chickens. Uh, that is a different kind it's of. It's a whole altogether. different beast. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, because I, I we did meat chickens for a long time, and I know processing is a very big challenge there. But you know, hogs and beef are really. Uh, they support each other in both the, the, the raising system and they're kind of complementary. Mm -hmm. um, but when you get into the, the fowl or uh, but we've been asked to plant about fish and that's just, again, another, the HACCP plan is much more difficult and the facilities and other things are challenging. So just the mainly, I mean, proteins. Yeah. 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 And are you organic certified also? We are not organic certified. We, okay. um, that, you know, we're not against it. The facility always has been and easily can be. We just left that out of our HACCP plan right away because the majority of our folks, I mean, we were fully booked for about nine months when we first started. And, you know, you've got a lot of folks around here that are, we, my farm was organic certified for a long time. And I found that the, you know, the, the work and the pain for that sticker just wasn't worth it. So we, mm -hmm. we are no, we don't, haven't changed anything in our protocol. It's just that organic is kind of, for us, price itself out of the market for relevance. Um, we have on-farm lodging, and we've got a ton of customers that stay here, pick their own eggs, go home with a bunch of meat, and they, you know, that experience is extremely valuable. So, you know, when I about three or four years ago, when we dropped the organic certification. I said, hey, things are going up. It cost me this much to be organically certified. Do you want a 10 cent price increase, or do you guys want to skip the sticker? And not one out of 10 of the people that I asked said, you know, Rod, we don't go to your place for a sticker. We go there because mm -hmm. of how we know how you do it, and we see it, and we live it, and we enjoy it, and we want to support you. It's got nothing to do with organic certification. So uh, as much as I love the, you know, most of all those, the organic movement, they've kind of got to reinvent themselves to be relevant uh, mm -hmm. to the producer because 
I like animal welfare approved, not to get distracted, but that's something really important to us as well. We were animal welfare approved for a long time and then try, trying to become more in control of pipeline and more relevant to consumers. Mm-hmm. They wanted to force their members to go to their one certified plant in the state. And, oh. and the one in Wisconsin was a huge conventional oh. nasty plant. And it's like, are you kidding me? You, you want all these demands and now you want me to go to someone who doesn't care about right. really animal, animal welfare. welfare. They've just gone through your certification mm-hmm. and, and, and they're three times as far away. They're, you know, they're not organically certified, da, 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 and it was just kind of a tragedy. And that's kind of how that brand really lost relevance in their mm-hmm. in their progress mm-hmm. in the market. And that's my opinion. I'm sure there'll be other people out there, but um, it, worth noting, especially if you're a producer. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it, well, and and organic and meat has always been different, right? So where you are, you in particular, and this and Nordic is in the land of organic valley, right? So. Correct. It's um, yeah. there's a lot of organic around us, and dairy organic seems to have just. It means it, it's much more impactful as a as a dis you know as a distinction. It seems in dairy than it is in meat. Yeah, uh, at the same time, you know, consumers are most consumers in in, in this area, the Driftless, they're very they're very wise, and they they do diligence and they mm-hmm. do uh, research and. And, you know, good or bad, you can find organic dairies that are just, they're kind of scary. And just yeah. because they have organic feed and their land is organically approved, mm-hmm. you know, most people wouldn't approve necessarily the end product. And, you know, don't no different than organic chickens. Yeah, you know, they see daylight maybe once a day or what, in some cases, and I'm not judging all of them, but it's really come good or bad, come back full circle to, to the old organic valley saying of know your farmer. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know now that Organic Valley has hundreds of farms in in Australia, <laughs> um, you would say, well, okay, really, is that okay? Great, mm-hmm. it's organic, but uh, is that good for the mm-hmm. environment or the world if we're shipping stuff all the way across from Australia? And why do we do it? Because it's cheaper than Wisconsin beef, right? And if it's back to the almighty dollar again, we've we've lost the fight. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, the good news is I think most consumers again are starting to re enlighten themselves, and just for the reason that all natural diet or vegetarian diet labels, you know, they look great, but they don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are asking harder questions, which they should. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. So when you, you knew all along you were going to be doing multi-species and that plan was set up to do multi-species, right? Yeah, you didn't have yeah. to do any modifications. Not a lot. We did, we changed some of the head gates because for being a newer plant, I'm not bashing the founders, but um, a couple of experts that have come through, either friends and or paid consultants, have said, "Who the hell did this plan?" Because mm-hmm. it's just the flow is, it's Weird. not ergonomic or not efficient, really. Um, so we had to do quite a few changes to make it a bit more efficient. And the time to do that was is when you're not killing or not processing it. Right, right. And so you can you can slaughter there. You you cut there. Do you do any value added? there also or yeah we do we have i mean value added for me as a processor now a producer would be any any basic meat where you're adding processing and adding value so we do smoked meats we do bacon we do beef bacon uh, sausages brats all of those things um the, the key thing about nordic versus the predecessors is we we are not retail and oh, that was okay. a pretty big is a pretty big decision but uh, if, if, as I look back and having worked with the other owners who were all good people, but they're the, the, the middle one, uh, Doug Wolf from uh, Wolf Farms is just a great, great guy. Great. Just a farmer, you know, straight shooter, calloused hand cart wearing mm-hmm. honest guy. And he just said, Hey, Rod, here's QuickBooks, you know, help yourself. And right. so I was trying to kind of buy in as a partner and he was eventually wanting to sell the business. And unfortunately he passed before that happened. But um, the, you could see they were all, I could see it having the business background that they were all bleeding white on the retail. You're, you're in the middle right. of nowhere. They had a 38 foot fresh retail case with three people cutting, cleaning, you know, t- manning, filling, unfilling stuff that you'd sell a few dollars worth a day. And you just can't, can't, right. it's not sustainable. And the market has shifted somewhat and we could, we could see a lot of, a demand for value added stuff, storage, frozen storage, chilled storage. Mm-hmm. So we turn that whole space into either workspace, value added space and or chilled or frozen storage, which 
which is great. And then we didn't plan on it, but we had a lot of, not a lot, probably two or three or four producers really go out of their way to say, thank you for not doing retail. And I thought, oh, what, what, sure. what the heck said? Yeah. And, but you know, we all, even as small producers, you know, you go to your butcher and you think, geez, it sure seems like I'm short 40 pounds of hamburger. And as you walk out after having paid the bill, you see, oh, look, hamburgers on sale here for X a pound these today. Huh? Wonder mm-hmm. where they bought that. Right. <laughs> and it's just too, it would be too easy to, you know, people, oh, hey, I lost steaks. No, we still have had people say, hey, I, you know, I don't have my tenderloin. Right. But then it's a discussion to say, well, you don't, but you have your T-bone and your T-bone is a small part of your tenderloin. So that's education versus speculation and da-da-da-da-da and just the temptation right. of having that distraction. So, um, so far, we're super happy that we did not do retail. Nice. Um, yeah. I mean, so. retail helps. I mean, it's sort of like Bartlett, Duran at Black Earth Meats, you know, right. they had the counter and he just realized he needed to have something in Madison, right? Yep. And yep. That, that's a whole different scenario. But Nordic, you're you're in, are you in Viroqua? Well, I'm from Westby, so we say no. But, uh, <laughs> and uh, I have the side of the truck proves it, but uh, we are in a Viroqua zip code address, so I guess we, we may lose that battle. But uh-huh. uh, um. So the yeah, the, so there just aren't that many people out there, right? Right, I mean, right, and you know it's yeah, it's close to Highway 14, but it's just you know you get on that two lane, people are worried about getting to the next destination. It's two lanes wide, so they speed up. Anyway, it's just not a destination. And if you know, maybe long term, we could do something. There's plenty of acreage there. But the other thing is, you know, we're built. That business was built by producers who need the outlet, and and then so what we have on our website is. And we'll get people walking off the street. Hey, can I buy two ribeye steaks? No, mm-hmm. but Wisconsin Meadows has a mixed beef box. Right. Here it is. Here's the flyer. We have them in stock. Wisconsin Meadows has a pork box. Uh, Willow Creek Ranch has it. Organic uh, mm-hmm. uh, St. Bridges Meadows. So on our on our website, yeah, we don't sell directly, but you want a really good value here. Look at our partners, and mm-hmm. and that's a great reference that hopefully anybody with any gumption can still get what they're looking for probably at even a better value than having to buy two, you know, fresh retail ready ribeyes that cost a lot of money just to, to put on the shelf. Right. 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 So you were full for the first nine months you were open. Yes. That's yep. amazing. Well, everybody was Tara. And I think mm-hmm. the biggest, uh, the biggest fallacy in the meat business, at least from a consumer perspective, and maybe even from some farmers is that, Oh, people, and I was hearing up to probably a month ago still, oh, processors are booked a year out, they're booked two years out, they're booked. Mm-hmm. That 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 stopped almost as quick as it started. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it probably stopped, I'd say, in late January, early February of this year. Okay. And my, you know, watching it all happen and being as close as I am to the meat business and small producers and 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 be you know, having our own plant, so we because of the whole COVID thing, we had a lot of appointments booked out into February. But talking to other small processors, either you know honestly or acting like I'm a farmer, mm-hmm. you know the rumor went from you know two three years booked out, and they were on their books. But these were reservations that Farmer Joe or Farmer Tara made um, at no risk. Right. And as right. things as things got more difficult, they'd call, hey, book me five per week for another year. Well, as things really slowed as they did in December and January, um, there are people, processors thinking, OK, we've got 50 book, beef on the books this week. 20 showed up. Yeah. And they're scrambling to say, what the hell's going on? And they found out, well, guess what? Farmer Jones has five a week for the next year and now he needs 10. Right. So, and, and we were, you know, luckily we, we did slow down immensely and, you know, where our website says, Hey, short term, we'll take stuff now or next mm-hmm. week. And we try to reserve that for local uh, producers, but that's a challenge. And, you know, I'm really concerned as much kind of help as small processors needed last year, either government or otherwise, I'm government always scares me. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're always, the road to hell's pave of good intentions. They mean well, but their reaction time is always it's way, too way, slow. way too slow. Yeah. And I've even heard now of, you know, legislation, let's help out small processors. Oh my God, here it comes. Yeah. No, they, yeah, that, that went away. It's gone because mm-hmm. these massive facilities where 90% of the meat in America comes from are fully online. And in some cases have used that opportunity to expand. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Um, so anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, it's something that I think the other thing people were saying to me is that people were like, just to make sure they would have space, they they would double book, you know, yep, like I'm yep. going to have space here and I'll have space there. And then if things fall apart, I can, yep. always, you know, yep. so there was just, yeah, there was this impression of way more demand than yep. there actually was. And, and, if, and in February of this year for the co-op, we, our other two partners had us on quotas. And if we didn't get written confirmation of a variance, usually mm-hmm. if we ask for more, they would turn you away. Wow. You turn a, turn a trailer around, turn them away because they were just flooded. Mm-hmm. That went from that, you know, them saying, hey, don't try anything funny. You're good for three head. Don't bring in four. Don't bring in four. Yeah. One week to them calling us the next one saying, any chance you can throw two more on wow. in a snap of a finger. It was just like lightning. And I think that just went across the industry now. Again, my point, the rumor is still out there that because people heard it, it's a it's a great rumor to spread. Isn't that amazing? And it's totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, every processor I know that I've called with my producer hat on said we can take them next week. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. So yeah. now we're back to kind of uh, a survival mode again. Survival yeah. mode. Well, the other thing about your business is it's very it's seasonal. Right. Like people don't eat the same amount of meat all times of the year, which means the animals Correct. aren't being shipped for processing the same number. Correct. Yeah. So what is that seasonality like for you? Yeah. So almost everyone in the business. Um, so you, you take a big processor like Lawrence Meats. They work with branded programs. And the reason they don't even accept, they, they changed that fall of last year. They don't even accept uh, local farmers anymore and they were built on you know onesie yeah, twosie right. custom steers but they found that you know these branded programs that bring in 10 15 20 50 head every single week mm-hmm. is, is so that that consistency is so attractive now our other state partner she was telling me that you know they make 80 percent of their business is in the summer and the fall and in spring venison carries them through because spring is just a super duper slow time of year for kills. Mm-hmm. 80, 90% of beef producers are, are spring calvers. That means the majority of the herd are need to be killed in a, a similar time frame. Mm-hmm. So the venison processing and value added stuff really keeps us, carries those smaller producers through. So that said, what Nordic we're looking to do is have a base of 60 to 70% branded customers like Wisconsin Meadows or other other mm-hmm. brands that have a really consistent business because people are eating all the time. It's just that private consumption along with um, the producers. Producers, most of them have animals in the fall. You know, if you're born in the spring, mm-hmm. a conventional animal is going to be finished in 16 to 20 months. That puts that kill processing date late summer into uh, you know early winter. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that it's very very seasonal. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have employees, right? How many employees do you have? Uh, 15. 15. Yeah. And then do you, do you lay them off in the no. seasonally or what do you no, do, what we do about that? So we, in the fall, if we're really cranking, we do pay overtime. I'd rather pay overtime and do it well. We have also had some turnover, um, mm-hmm. which when people can get $17 an hour for stock and shelves at Walmart, why would they stand and cut right, meat in a cold meat. environment and mm-hmm. on their feet all day for $15, $16. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's very challenging there. But what we've done is we've been really careful to, I'd rather pay overtime and then slow down to normal hours and when things are slow than to overhire and then actually lay people off. You don't ever right. want to lay people off because it's just a bad experience for everybody. So we have in the fall, we were a bit, you know, a bit smaller, less consistent. We just simply paid the overtime. And then in the spring, We've dialed things down. We are increasing a lot of our value-added stuff, which is all new business. So mm. making a bacon, making a beef bacon, making brats, sausages, hot dogs. So that's allowed us to actually be bringing in some box beef business and, and, oh, and uh, okay. so making value-added things for other producers. And then mm-hmm. when and if it's fairly slow, we've gone to uh, a 40 a week. So we'll... You know, we cut mm-hmm. people's hours back, which they don't always like. But you know what? If it's planned and they know they got a day off, we've got folks that'll go and work at another slaughter plant. Uh, mm-hmm. for, they'll work for their friends. They'll, you know, or spend time with their family. And, but it's not a significant impact. And they know, hey, mo- come Monday, they've got a job. Uh, right. So. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard to, to deal with these super seasonal businesses. 
right? Yeah. One of the things that happened during COVID because the meat thing is people started buying meat direct from um, farmers more. Um, Do you see that continuing? Yes and no. So we had, from the co-op perspective, we had, and my also our our ranch brand, we have an eight by 12 walk-in freezer on the farm. We try to keep a balance of things all the time. It's not a retail store, but if people Mm -hmm. show up or want on short notice, come out and buy a mixed box, we we intend to always try to have those available. Um, there was a time at the COVID peak when, you know, people would call and never called us before. would just stop in off the street. Do you have anything? <laughs> there was a time when I had one case of short ribs and that was any, that was it. Everything was, was empty. It. <laughs> and and it, so people were so used to saying, okay, I want one of this, a boneless ribeye, this many ounces, one per pack, blah, 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 to saying, I'll take whatever you got. So that's, that's re- re- refreshing. But um, the other thing w- was a lot of folks said they were so sick of the conventional pricing where they were paying $3 a pound for hamburger. Ours is five, mm-hmm. but conventional pricing went to eight or $9 and ours went to five fifty. Cause right. you know, as a co-op, we're transparent as a local, I'm not going to screw my neighbor. Mm-hmm. So I had to pass on costs, but we got a ton of business from people that said, wow, you're not going to make me pay seven because I can, or I right. have to everybody else. I said, no, that I'm going to, I'm here long-term. We're here for four generations. I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, screwed somebody over, what good does that do me? And so the good news is a lot of those folks, uh, conventional pricing has gone down again, and it's even lower than it was at the start before. Right. Half of the folks have fallen back to that temptation, but half of them have stayed saying, you know what? I found out that a dollar more a pound doesn't kill me. In fact, right. if I market it well, I make more money. Mm-hmm. So, and they are sticking with us. So I, I'd like to think that the trend, um, you know, some people found, yeah, I bought a freezer full of meat and I'm sitting on it and all I have is left is hamburger and some short ribs. They may not come back, but other folks have said, you know, we've learned how to cook again. We've, yeah. we've we pull out whatever and we look up a recipe and, and it's fun and it's engaging and it brings the family together. So like any, any disaster, I think there's, there's good and bad that came out of it. And hopefully some of those fun parts will stick. Yeah, no, well, I, hopefully, and, and it sounds like at least in kind of wearing both the Wisconsin Meadows and Nordic, you're seeing seeing some of it stick anyway, which is good. Yeah. And this and this learning to cook thing is good too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, another thing that that is problematic for um, you know, for processors and farmers who are direct marketing is what do you do with the cuts that nobody knows what to do with or what do you do with your trim? Yeah. So like did COVID help with that at all? Yes and no. So yes and that. So if, if something, it doesn't become steak X or roast Y, right. it is trim and trim becomes hamburger. Right. Um, and the fact that the price overall for hamburger went up helps all producers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also forced end consumers to start being creative. And if you are creative, um, most of the newer cuts, so, so mankind has been cutting steaks for thousands of years any so-called new steak is not new at all. It's probably some butcher that saw a, a certain cut, found value in the the tenderness, the flavor of a certain subprimal, mm-hmm. and they may, gave it a new name. So, examples: flat iron. So, flat iron comes as a steak from the you know from the chuck arm complex, and uh, once deveined, it's kind of like a mock tenderloin, and it's it's quite tender and can be of steak quality in a cut that's normally always ground into ground beef. Mm. And they're, you know, on certain menus in a big city, they're super hot because it sounds kind of cool and it's new. Right and, right. and and when it's when it's the same cut that we've been eating for thousands of years, it's just marketed differently. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think some of those opportunities have been uh, been uh, come to come to the yeah. Well, and and I think <laughs> we're all at home looking up recipes on Pinterest or something, right? right so, right. so we'd be like, "Oh, flat iron steak. Okay, uh, this is a thing. I know yeah. what to do yeah. with this now, <laughs> right?" Yeah, and the other thing, Tara, is the the ethnic influences. Mm. I think been mostly positive for producers because there was a time when you know the, our forefathers, things like tongue and things like you know certain cuts were really prized for their tenderness, their flavor, their vitamins. They might not have understood it, but they know that they've been eating it forever. Uh, you know, tongue is a very tender meat, high and very nutritious. Mm-hmm. But in the last 10, 20, 30 years, it's become, oh, icky. It looks right. weird. It's, and it's kind of fallen out of favor to the point where people are literally either throwing it away or giving it away. 
And now with, you know, the Hispanic influence and tongue tacos and anybody that's had tongue recently and you can get by the look, it's an amazing cut of meat. And we went from throwing it away maybe five years ago to now we can't get enough of it. And we sell it for four ninety nine a pound, which is higher price than trim, hmm. you know. So those are also neat influences. Skirt steak, you know, growing up on a farm, we cut our own beef. Skirt steak, oh, that goes in the hamburger, you know, because right. Norwegians, Norwegians don't know how to cook that. <laughs> flank steak, same thing. Well, flank steak, we sell out and we're selling that stuff for 10 bucks a pound. And here the Norwegians are grinding it up for hamburger because they didn't know how to cook it. Yeah. So it's, it's all those things that are also adding value to the carcass. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, it's it's interesting. Um how how the that's the other thing right we're all on pinterest looking up recipes so we're getting more ethnic more exposure to different cuisines and food cultures right yep yeah so what do you think i mean you know challenge now you're probably it sounds like nordic is back to kind of the the pre-covid state of um having to deal with seasonality having to deal with how to, you know, utilize a whole carcass, all, all of that kind of thing, right? That we're sort of back to pre-COVID, you know, what do you see in the future for Nordic? Yeah. So again, the mission is not to become the next Oscar Mayer. The mission is first to serve local producers. And, you know, as long as we pay the bills and our employees are happy and we're there to serve our producers on time and, and in a high quality manner, we've done ourselves well. We can pat ourselves on the back and go home. Right. So it's not like we have to triple in size and pay our shareholders and da 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 da. It's it's a fairly simple business model. Um, you know that said, with six acres and a newer facility, there are very attractive, you know, six sigma smart people things to say. Well, listen, if you added a second shift and you did this and you did that, mm-hmm. the numbers could look amazing, but you know, we may look at that if the volume would justify it, but we're happy to have a balance of some solid core customers that are have long-term propositions that give us day-to-day business, mm-hmm. and then to be available for local producers if and as they they want to. We you know, we blocked now we blocked a few weeks already for the local fair. You know, our mm-hmm. our county fair should not have to send animals two hours away. Right. We should have our own facility and, and we'll block for that, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's not uh, a Wall Street story by any means, um, but it's, hey, steady she goes. Um, the purpose here is not to get rich overnight, as every farmer knows, but really to serve the community and and, and pay our bills and have people that uh, feel valued in the workplace. And, and that alone is is extremely undervalued, and but is a is a big win if you can achieve it. Yeah, right, right. Especially for rural communities, right? Um, Correct. Yeah, and you're. It's an interesting thing about Viroqua, just that whole little micro region of our state, because um, I would say food and agriculture has really kind of been an engine for economic development out there. No, absolutely. Um, between the Economic Development Center, which is all food food related, mm-hmm. um, you know, who doesn't like to eat? Um, the, the purity of the of the region uh, with the limestone, the driftless, the karst, all of that lends itself to small egg and not to big egg because it's right. not huge cornfields that, um, you know, we our, our topography just wouldn't allow that. And where we try it, it ends up in a, in a disaster. So, yeah, and I think we get there's an influx of new people that are really attracted to that. Cause if you're in a big city and you don't, uh, you know, see the stars at night or you don't just listen to the crickets and the birds and other things uh, there's a lot of value for that. And, and that's a positive thing. Um, and there's also other people in the middle of nowhere that, you know, want to move on to other things. So yeah, all in all, it's uh, it's win-win. A lot of people, I think we have an under, I serve as the chair on our economic development and the county is a supervisor I think we have a huge opportunity. At the same time, there's many locals that say, hey, Rod, be quiet. We don't want a ton of people from here coming. <laughs> so there's a balance of that because, you know, they come, they spend money, um, and, uh, and those are all good things. But we also don't want to be the next suburbia overnight. So it's kind of a fine balance. Right. It's so funny you say that because I was doing a boot camp in Montana, which the whole state of Montana is the size of Europe, Right. There's yeah. only a million people in Montana, turns out, and and there's way more cattle than that, right? Yeah, yeah. And 
And I was out there to do boot camp and working with people who who are you know starting food hubs and and food businesses. And I'm like, all right, so you need to find more people in order to have <laughs> enough scale to your business. And they would look at me and say, we don't want more people. <laughs> 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 yeah. So you're, so the driftless is a little bit of that dynamic going on, right? Yeah. yeah. And we're close enough. We can stay here and do what we do, but we send a lot to customers in Chicago. We've got sure. customers in Minneapolis. So you have the twin cities that, you know, we may not love Illinois people, but they love Wisconsin because, you know, our perception is crime in big cities. Their perception of us is nice people, clean space, clean water, and, you know, so they, they, from a food perspective, were an attractive uh, offering to them. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a funny thing, right? And if you're in Montana, there it, you can't drive two hours and get to Minneapolis, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. oh, my God, they drive 14 hours to get anywhere. It's kind oh. of crazy. It's gorgeous, though, got to say. So is oh, it, it is. Once you're there, it's great. But kind of like here, I mean, I... I drive my Ranger and our farm's not all that big. And I get back and think, shoot, I forgot my screwdriver. I think, what did that farmer do out there when he forgot his, his uh, fencing fencing tool? You know, and he's right. got to drive back three hours. Those. I mean, you better have everything in one truck and maybe a backup, you know, but yeah. God bless him <laughs> if he gets a flat tire. Uh, 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 yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So what do you, I mean, for, for there's so many projects out, out around the country and in our state, but around the country where people are trying to set up meat processing facilities. And yeah. just based on what you've learned doing this Nordic meats, what would you, what would you tell people? Yeah. Um, Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're probably right. I mean, Again, we'll be fine, and I'm still very excited. But you know, this this accordion effect back to scrambling to where we're you know putting on Facebook everywhere. Hey, taking immediate openings. Da 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 da. da. And you know, the big meat's not going away, like it or not. Uh, cheap meat's not going away. Right. So, and you know, the government, well, despite their intentions, aren't going to fix it. So it's really only these small branded programs and young farmers and and people that are willing to take up something on their own and put their heart and soul into it um, that are going to make things work. So would I start a new one and build a new one next year? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our investors that are smart guys and they ask good questions and, you know, they're like, well, could we franchise? Absolutely not. Because we have a, you know, we paid 30 cents on a dollar for a pretty nice facility. Had we right. paid full price, you couldn't float it. Yeah. Uh, and subsidies is not the answer. And, you know, so, yeah, it's just, I think decentralization, which our government struggles with, mm-hmm. it's, it's still a better solution. So let's have a lot of small places that when 100 small places dial back 10% like we do, that's cool. Right. Uh, but, you know, when a when a massive factory dials back 10%, they, they laid off 50, 100 people. And that's yeah. not cool. And that's why they don't do it. So, um, you know, it's we're our own worst enemy, as in most cases. And uh, I think people don't realize, I mean, I, I, you know, and I, there was a little bit of writing about it, but, but just how consolidated the meat industry is, right. And how, how international it is like the mainstream business. Yep. And then labeling doesn't help, you know, the product of America, unfortunately country of origin was taken away recently. And, uh, you know, that uh, was extremely unfortunate because for a while there, you if it was not a product of the United States, you had to say product of Australia, you know, right. and, uh, uh, da, 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 da. now it can come in off from Australia. It goes to Denver to JBS and it's cut up from one steak into two steaks and it's, mm-hmm. it's called label product of the United States, product of the USA, which is extremely misleading, but legal. Right. Um, so, and, and until consumers and voters demand more transparency, you know, big companies have, are extremely powerful. Yeah. Um, so, um, so JBS is JBS an American company? No, they're not. They're they're a Brazilian company. They're Brazilian. Um, they're the biggest meat company in the world from my last status. And again, 80, 85 to ninety percent of all meat protein sold in America is one of three major massive global companies. Um, so JBS now, is one. Is Smithfield one of Smithfield, the top Smithfield, I think, two? is three, and Tyson, I believe, is number two. Okay, and Smithfield is a Chinese company now. They are now, yes. 
Tyson, is Tyson still an, uh, an American company? I haven't checked yet, but the fact that we're both questioning each other. Is yeah, yeah. I know. It's interesting, right? Yeah. And hey, nothing against the Chinese. They do a lot of things well. But, you know, again, they're not going to make decisions based on water quality and land use right. uh, in our interest. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna do it in the interest of their bottom line. You know, when I had my way company, there were, we sold container loads to Asia because people in Asia didn't trust the quality of, wow. of the Chinese product. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Even though, yeah, it's kind of a crazy thing. So, yeah. um, so yeah. And then there, what, there are a couple other, what are the other big ones, meat companies? Well, there's some bigger regional players that, and they're not as visible, especially if it's private, they're not visible. But I think the point is the meat industry in America is much like beer was in the eighties, you know, it's controlled by three companies that dominate 80, 90 percent of the market. And my dream could be that, you know, it becomes viable enough again with or without government intervention that, um, you know, there can be a mom and pop. Every small town in Wisconsin mm-hmm. had the butcher, every yeah. single one. Yeah. It's about, you know, 100 years ago, about the same time when everyone had a brewery. Right. Now, breweries are coming back because they're in because they're not that that uh they're not that expensive to build they're not that heavily regulated and they're a destination they add a little food and mm-hmm. uh you know next thing they're pretty cool Th- that could happen again for meat if the consumers say i i want to insist that my meat does not travel thousands and thousands of miles if you you know organic valley is a, co- a co-op in vernon county wisconsin why do they bring in 95 percent of their beef from australia yeah just because it's cheaper really yeah. You know, if everything was cheaper, we wouldn't be buying from co-op, food co-ops. Um, right. It is interesting, right? Like, like, and I do think there is this sort of subculture making meat cutting cool thing, you know, yep. like you have yep. to be a hipster, good looking guy or gal with a lot of tattoos to, <laughs> you know, in, in urban areas, right? That there, yeah. there's this, there's this. Uh, you know, maybe it's a glimmer of something here that will yeah. make it make it cool to do this as yep. a profession. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I think, you know, cooking is coming back. And, you know, for a long time there it was McDonald's fast food. You know, the coolest thing as a kid was to get a TV dinner on a, on a tray. Right. You know, wow, that we're, we're so cool. We're so rich because we could afford that. And now it's again, like you said, it's people bringing in, infusing different cultures, infusing different ideas, doing it themselves. And hopefully as that comes back, they're the folks that say, hey, here's how you smoke brisket. Here's how you smoke. And it's not that hard. And you're taking a, you know, a cheaper piece of meat, turning into something amazing. So hopefully as that comes back um, and, you know, as, 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 as much as I wanted to get away from the farm when I was a kid to have chefs from New York come and stay here now and say, this place is amazing. You don't know what a gold mine you have is that in itself is just you know, it's a pretty, pretty rewarding in, in addition to an awesome meal that they made from everything from the burning nettle to the, um, to the beef, to the mushrooms that were forged from the, the land that you're eating on, that you yeah. live, you know, so yeah, no those are, those are cool like things coming. you don't appreciate when you're a kid. <laughs> right. No, seriously. And maybe you don't even appreciate it as an adult either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we kind of take, take it, take for granted what we've got in a way. Um, yeah. Well, have we, we've covered a lot of ground. Have we missed anything? I guess I would have to have you ask me a pointed questions. I got a thousand things to, to think of we need to do, but you know, they're daily trade-offs we make. So we always have the pressure to, okay, we need, you know, you'll have your biggest customer that says, listen, we, we could do 500 pounds more patties a day, but we need 10 cents price. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have to make the hard choice and, you know, the GM wants the business or the sales guy wants the business. Everybody wants the business, but business at a cost of going backwards is not good business. So you have to have the, the bone and the financial fortitude to say no, mm-hmm. or get a creative alternative or, you know, invest in equipment that can allow that without a, a crazy capital spend. Mm-hmm. So those are always your battles. And I think, you know, hopefully we, we progress and we add things that empower new capabilities, but hopefully we do say no and we don't become a CAFO and we don't kill 500 head a day because it would make our bottom line look better. Um, and does, do you think it helps to have farmers as owners? I really do. It's, it's just, uh, 
it's such a refreshing group to talk to because they've, they've seen the fight, you know, they've been, you know, calving at three in the morning in the rain and Mm -hmm. you don't need to tell them how, you know, when you got somebody who's sitting on their yacht and they're mad, you didn't make your your earnings per share. Mm -hmm. What are you going to tell them that they even care about? Whereas if, you know, that when we have meetings, I mean, it's really a kind of a pump talk because I beat myself up a lot. And these guys used to say, wow, awesome job, Roger. You're way too hard on yourself. And let's, you know, here's, let's invest more here, invest more there. Uh, whereas when you're dis- distracted or you're third hand investor, it's so easy to be hard on, you know, when you know all your employees by name and you know their kids or you've given, you know, a hog for the kid's birthday party or bar mitzvah or quesadilla, mm-hmm. it's much harder to, to, you know, kick them in the teeth than it is. Yeah, because they're almost like family. And that's the way it should be. Because if you treat everybody like family, you're going to treat them fairly and they're going to have the same reaction to you. Right, right. So so you have some turnover, but I bet not not as much as a lot of other employers. Yeah, and that turnover is our, all of our turnover is a classic Midwestern. You know, people have probably have some problems. They have some, you know, they're there, they work great two days and then they don't show up for a week. You don't hear from them and, you know, and you mm-hmm. can't, you can't work like that. So you got to right. let them go. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but that's probably a totally different, uh, yeah, we will talk about an, an, a whole yeah. other session about that one. Cause it, it, I mean, it is another big national issue, right? It isn't just rural Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. In well, fact, it's probably better in rural Wisconsin than it is in other places. Yeah. Probably. But, you know, at the same time, humans have been humans for thousands of years. And, and no matter what government does or people do or nonprofits do, people make bad choices. And, uh, you know, we need to recover from our own bad choices. And we've all made bad choices. But there, you know, as long as there's negative outcomes from bad choices and we can get better from it, I think we can all improve. But, um, yeah, that's definitely a different a different uh, webinar. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, well, thanks so much for all you do. I mean, the the what you do with your farm, the leadership with with um, the the co op, and having I don't know what to say the gumption to lead the effort to wrangle the investors to to take this um, what was just an empty, beautiful actually with some problems, but beautiful facility and and bringing it back online. Well, thank you for that, Tara. Yeah. Uh, especially coming from you, someone's done even bigger things and better things. I appreciate the compliment. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.